Hello everyone and welcome to the latest official EvertonFC.com podcast. I'm delighted on this occasion to be joined by Peter Reid, by Adrian Heath and also by Simon Kendall, who is the son of our greatest ever manager. And Howard Kendall is the main topic of conversation for the next 45 minutes or so. Simon, what, what, what's it like when you hear people refer to your old man as a legend? Is it something you get used to or does it still, is it still a bit surreal? It's surreal, Darren. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, your dad's your dad, right? And as you grow up and, you know, spend time around him and the family, you don't think it's any different to any other family. And, and of course, you're really proud of all of all the, all the achievements, both as a player and as a, as a manager and all that. But, but when you hear something like legend or, you know, trying to uh, get your head around the fact that he was uh, so revered and, 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 and famous within the, you know, the, the, the football club. I don't think you ever get used to it. When did you first realise he was famous, Simon? I think, um, I mean, again, as a kid, you don't really appreciate it so much, but, but I think you start to see, you know, the interest of other people in him um, gives you, you know, a clear indication that, that, that he's considered famous, right? So getting stopped for autographs, photos, couple of minutes conversation he had time for everyone and um and I think you know you had to learn as a kid to to share your old man and um you know he, like I said he he gave time to to everyone else so so I think that gave you an indication that, that you know that that obviously there was you know an element of fame there of course seeing his face plastered across the the uh, back page of most national papers uh, every week is <laughs> a fair indication as well it's a bit surreal for Simon, Adrian, but without any shadow of a doubt, the man's a legend. Yeah, and it's strange. I was just thinking then while Simon was talking, and really remember this. Edward was sort of infamous before you really knew him because he was the youngest player ever playing the cup final, wasn't he? And that was like a quiz question for years and years. Then he was like the greatest player never played for England. He was sort of, and then it became the career he had, and then it was the management career. So, you know, it, it, it sort of goes... His sort of reputation went before him, even before I got to know him. Obviously, Reedy's a touch older than me, and him being born on Merseyside, he will have he will have known the sort of the enormity of, of not only him but his, the way that he was revered in the game from his time as a player at Everton. Mine was later on in life when I, you know, I babysat for Simon one night when he was a little kid. So I go back to when I was fifteen. So you know, I've known him a long time, but as I say, even even I got to know his name before I got to know him. Mm. Yeah, I think, I think um, he was born in, uh, I think, Brighton, up in the, uh, just outside Newcastle, same, same class as Brian Ferry. He aged, definitely aged well, didn't he? <laughs> uh, he, he, he? Like, that's me as a young, young lad. I get, I get out Kendall, you know, 17, playing the cup final. And then I played against him when he was at, Stoke, but I must. I mean, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, the only Trinity was, I mean, that midfield trio, uh, the ball, Harvey Kendall. I mean, when you're talking about quality, it doesn't get any better. Than, and obviously, you look at that, uh, the team that uh, the 70s size, but they were all great players and they all, they all complemented each other, the balance in the side. And that was a 4 3 3 side back then. Great one-touch player. The old way, because I, I play against Colin, um, Howard and, and Bowley. And, you know, as a young lad, you wanted to get into them. Uh, you had energy. 
but the, the brain and the first touch is brilliant, brilliant. And I played against him against Blackburn, local derby with Bolton, and kicking hell out of him or trying to. And then uh, he signs you for Everton, so he's a legend as far as I'm concerned, just signing me for Everton. <laughs> <laughs> and a great deal it was as well. Was uh, was Simon a well-behaved kid, Adrian? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he, he probably won't remember. He was tiny. So I, I, how old would you have been then? So how old are you now, Si? Uh, Forty-five now. Yeah, so you'd have been a young, only young. So when you lived up in Ashley, which was a part of Stoke on Trent, because I was I was boot boy. So I, you know, I go back from when I was fifteen years of age. I would even spoke about Everton even then. It, it's strange how you know things evolve. Because I, I got in the team relatively early and things were going well and, and there was a lot of big clubs mentioned. And now it always spoke about, you know, signing for Everton. You, you don't need to go anywhere else. You want to be involved in the next great Everton team. That's where you want to be. So, you know, it's different for like Simon who grew up watching his old man on Merseyside and Peter, obviously knowing the size of the two clubs. For me, it was something that was sort of out there. It was only when my uncle, my uncle Tony, if you remember Pete, used to move yeah. to Merseyside and got a job up there, and I started occasionally going and watched the game. So, you know, it's uh, it's, it's amazing how it turns quickly. You mustn't been watching it up there in the park that time I played against you. <laughs> it, was a bad, it was bad conditions that day, Pete. It was windy and bobbly, you know. Was your dad a competitive dad? I mean, he, he, so he definitely, de definitely wanted the best for us. I, I'd say most of the parenting was done by, by mom. Um, but if you, if you mean was he competitive with us, Absolutely. I don't think he could turn off his competitive streak. I mean, it didn't matter what we'd play, right? I mean, card games, quizzes, board games, any sport, right? He'd be desperate to win, even against his own kids. But, you know, kids can be quite innovative as well. So we learn our parents' weaknesses. And uh, I, I don't know if you know, Darren, but dad was colorblind. Couldn't tell the difference between uh, red and brown. So playing snooker against him was... It was quite entertaining. I used to rack up a whole lot of uh, foul points to help me uh, get to the odd win from time to time. What was it like as a, as a small child, seeing your dad on the television, seeing your dad on Match of the Day? I mean, I, I always find that, if I asked the same question to Jimmy Ball a couple of years ago, I find it really difficult because there's no, there's no footage of my old man working in Fords. I'll never see my old man on the television. What was it like for you to see your dad on the TV? You know, it's funny. I had the same conversation with my wife a couple of weeks ago. She was saying, you know, I didn't have any video footage of, of her dad. And, and I'm thinking, my God, all I need to do is put his name into Google. And I've got endless, endless supply of, of video archive material. And it's, it's, you know, I mean, that bit is great. But going back to as a, as a kid, it was just normal. I mean, this was just, just the way it was. I mean, there wasn't as much football on the television then either, right? I mean, it was limited to you know highlight type shows very little live most of it was was you know from what you read in the papers but um but yeah i mean whatever was there was quite normal he's a top player as well won't he pete oh great player yeah yeah great, great player. A, a, a dying art great slide tackler and and get the ball and one of the best volleyers you will ever see volleyers, even when he was he get, getting on when he probably in his 50s when he'd be training probably late 40s, 50s, he could still have an unbelievable knack of volleying the ball side to side of the field and with great accuracy. And like going back to what Pete was saying, you imagine what they must have been like in their pomp. Well, that must have been some team, by the way. Yeah, great time. 
the thing that got me when I signed uh, for Everton, I was I had a few injuries. I was twenty six, and he, I failed the medical, and he just said sign him. We had a pre-season. Now, when you talk about sports science, this is this will be eighty three, eighty four. When you talk about sports science, this this man was ahead of his time. All the training was about specific. In it, like the old days, used to run rounds. Now, Kevin Ratcliffe was quick, but he couldn't do long distance running. So we just said to Kevin Ratcliffe, "Listen." Do it in your own time, way ahead of his time in terms of training, sports science, and, and definitely tactical awareness. Brilliant. Peter, just tell us about one of your early training sessions just after you signed for Everson, because it, it didn't go as well as you wanted it to, did it? Oh, it's my first day training, Adrian, I'll tell you. Oh. Hey, he came in and cha changed next to me, Darren. I'll tell you. And as he come in, I, I looked at him, I went, had a good night. I always remember. <laughs> so I knew what was coming by then. And we, were, we were trying to shield him within the session because, you know, it's like your opening day. You want to give a good impression. My God, it wasn't, it was, it wasn't the best first day. <laughs> I got, I got, a, I had a few, I was made up because the deal had fell through. I would said, I failed the medical on me knee, Doc Evan, brilliant. So they just said, hey, doing next week playing for Bolton was signing yeah so was that made up I had a meal with um, Neil Watmore on the night and there was a couple of them <laughs> a couple of more <laughs> I had a brandy I had a oh, woke up next morning I thought Jesus got into Belfield and like ages I walked in and I, I was like where's all gummage I was all over the place <laughs> <laughs> and the fizzing balls in at me and it's bounced oh Hey, the best one, the best part of it was at the end, we, oh, we, we had these trees and they were like strategically placed. So like they were 10 yards apart and they were like, so we used to use them as doggies, you know, little shuttle runs. So I think it was the gaffer and Colin took hold of uh, Reedy and said, come on, you can run with us on the trees here. And when you're getting lapped by the two of them, then you know <laughs> bad, bad. I was made up. I was made up. They asked me, I thought, oh, brilliant. And they lapped me. <laughs> Needless to say, it got a lot better from there. I've got to be honest. <laughs> what are your recollections of going to the game as a as a, as a boy, Simon? From uh, from very early on, Darren. I'd say you know just after Dad went back to Everton in '81. Very very little uh, for the first couple of years. I think I must have blocked out some of the uh, performances from the uh, <laughs> from the memory. Um, but but you know thinking to around you know '84. And onwards, um, pretty much every single home game, some of the away ones. Used to sit with a friend and his stepdad in the in the main stand. Um, I guess mum probably staying at home with with my sisters. Some of the games, eighty four onwards. My God, I mean, the memories are just uh, they're still there. I mean, not not only the video piece that, that that I you know obviously go back and watch over and over, but I was listening the other day. Radio City had a uh, an album they they released all of the commentary from the season uh, Clive Tilsley going through the game and you know I, I find it it's an even better way sometimes to listen to listen to the games and, and relive those memories because if you close your eyes and listen to the commentary you can actually see what you saw when you went to some of those games the uh, the memories are just uh, yeah tremendous I, I tell you what I tell you what I mean Adrian went through the tough times but you've you got to remember, he bought 
He bought a young goalkeeper. Adrian was a young man. Um, Kevin Sheedy, Alan Harper, all these were young men who we brought in. Even and then the lads through the ranks. I mean, good managers mix it up with with the 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 youth. And then you know Gary Stevens, Kevin Ratcliffe, all these two. Derek Mountfield was a young signing. I mean, and buys you look at and you think that's that's brilliant. I mean, you know the other thing, Pete, with that, nearly every player that you've mentioned there, whether it be younger, older, you've just been through, you failed your medical. We all had something to prove, didn't we? Yeah. You know, yeah. we were all trying to prove something, whether it be I deserve to play at that level, I justify a transfer fee. You wanted to be, everybody wanted you to be the player everybody thought you were going to be. You know, uh, yeah. everybody had something to sort of, there was a challenge there for all of us. And I think that was probably, I haven't really thought about it in the past, an underlying sort of uh, thing, theme that ran through the team was we, all, we were all trying to prove something. What was Howard like? In the tough times, because everybody knows Howard is a, as a, the most successful manager we've ever had, and his philosophy was to enjoy the good times. But the pressure must have got to him at times. There must have been games when you thought, "Wow, if we don't win this, by the way, the gap is gone." The the only one I can remember, and Peter will probably back me up, was you remember we went to Birmingham, Pete? Yeah. And we'd 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 got beat three at Wolves, I think. It was over the Easter period where you play Saturday, Monday, or yeah, Christmas it was. Was it? Yeah. And uh, I remember playing at Birmingham and we were so bad at Wolves. And we ended up getting a result. I remember it was one of the few times he ever put me under pressure before the game. Because he was really good at shielding that and he, he wanted us to go out and enjoy and express ourselves. But I remember before that game, that was one of the few games he went, I know you can play, you know you can play, but everybody else needs to see that you can play. We can't keep waiting for you to start to deliver. And that was one of the few times he, he really put me under pressure in front of the group. But we managed to get a result and we went to Stoke, I think, didn't we? In the FA Cup. And then the rest from that year, I think we only lost one more game, I think. But, you know, it was, uh, I think he was really good at shad, you know, shielding the group from external pressure. And he took it on his own shoulders and, you know, obviously for us, it was the, the, the pleasing thing was then was to repay him the way that we did. It takes some doing that, Peter, doesn't it? You've been a manager yourself to, to shield your players from the pressure when the going gets tough. Yeah, I, I, I thought the game that, that really hurt him. Uh, and it was the game uh, we got beat Anfield 3, I think. And, uh, and I thought after, I thought, oh, it was, it was like, I thought I looked at him and I thought, boom. And then we sort of, like Adrian says, apart from the Wolves game, just built it up. Um, and and from then on, it, it you go from strength to strength. But it was like it was like it was it was a strange experience because it was a really struggling and and depths of despair, if you like. And then all of a sudden, and, and I think I think a lot of young men grew up very quickly. Very quickly in a, in a short amount of time, so they had they've been through the pressure of bad results and getting stick. I mean, the Coventry game, I'll never ever forget um, the nil nil. Wow, I'll never forget that. But we sort of built up from there. The Stoke game, the Birmingham game, the Stoke game, and the Apple was a massive one. And obviously, after winning that, 
everyone talks about Adrian's one against Oxford. So it, they were the, for me, they were the, the massive games. Well, I, I, I thought his team talk at Stoke was unbelievable when he opened the slats of the windows and he just said, listen, there's 10,000 Evertonians out here. Going, I just thought that was, you know, not the bad tactics. Go and do it for them. And, and sometimes you need, you know, just a Winston Churchill sort of approach and that was it. Did you know, Simon, to stay out your dad's way if we had a bad result? Well, I was going to say, you know, it's interesting that the lads are talking about protecting the players and that's the way, that's the way he was. And, and I think equally, he brought that protection to the family as well. I don't remember any, you know, bringing that pressure home, if you like, during, during that period and, and having any impact on family life. Um, and we, we were aware of what was going on, right? I mean, you, you walk, down, walk down the stairs out the front door to see Kendall out painted on your garage door, you know there's problems, right? So, um, you know, but we, we, it never affected, never really affected family life. And I remember, I mean, you know, Peter's talking about the, the Coventry game on, the, I think it was New Year's Eve, 83. You know, three weeks before that, I was mascot against uh, Villa on my ninth birthday at home. And, and I only found out many, many years later that mum and dad were very, very close to pulling me out of that mascot opportunity that day because they weren't sure what the reaction of the crowd was going to be like. And, and I think that shows an, an, an awareness of what was going on, an awareness of what the impact might be on the family. Um, I mean, he, he went and put me through it anyway, but luckily <laughs> the uh, reaction was pretty good. Um, but, but I think, you know, obviously, yeah, the, it, it, was, it was a tough time, but it definitely didn't impact on the family. Adrian, his relationship with Sir Philip Carter was, was, was first class, and that really was the key to what was to follow. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I've never been, this is probably the longest I've been managing and really had a great relationship for a long period of time with Sir Bob Murray when he, when he was doing the incredible things at Sunderland. I think it's a really important relationship because if you, if you, you've given this guy the job, so you actually, you know, you, there's something there that you liked in the first place. Now, to stick, th stick with him through the, through the uh, difficult periods is, is, a, is a trait for them people as well because all too often we've seen that you can change really, really quickly. And the teams that do change really, really quickly, normally you, you look at their, their results and they don't get an awful lot better. So obviously the board of directors had an enormous amount of faith in him, but mainly probably Sir Philip. And I think the fact that he was such a blue as well, they knew what the relation, what the club meant to him. I think that was certainly something that would have been in the back of the mind. Maybe had he not been such a great player for the club and held in such respect, maybe that could have changed. But certainly that, that relationship was important for Howard in the beginning through the tough times. But then as we started to get it going, you know, obviously they broke the transfer record two and three times. So they, they backed him when they needed to. Peter, let me ask you about the, the promotion of Colin Harvey. Again, having been a manager yourself, do you think that was a really brave decision of Howard's? Because from the outside looking in, some people might have gone, oh, he needs a bit of help here. He might not be able to cope. It was, it was a big decision, wasn't it? Well, when, it, when it, I mentioned before about being innovative, you know, nowadays, if you look at football clubs, there's more coaches than players. <laughs> but in them days, it is, isn't it? I mean, you look at the bench, there's only Uncle Tom Cobbley, not on that bench. <laughs> but in them days, right, Howard's gone, right, I'm going to change it about a bit. 
I'm going to bring uh, Colin in to, to work with Mick Eaton. By the way, there's not wrong with two people in the are working with the team. And, and, and Colin, obviously, he, he knew Colin inside out. And Colin was a little bit different. He could get into you. He could get into you. But it, it always comes down to the manager. At the end of the day, the manager is, agent will tell you, that's the hot seat. That is the hot seat. And all the help you can get, it's appreciated. And Colin Harvey, the brilliant coach, brilliant coach. And he gelled, like he gelled on the football pitch, he gelled as a manager and a coach, without a doubt. Did you spend much time around the players, Simon, or did you spend much time around the, the players' kids at the time? Uh, not a whole lot. I mean, I suppose a few things come to mind. I, I used to love going to Belfield with Dad. Uh, wouldn't happen very often, but um, but I used to love it when we when we did. He used to we used to get to the uh, get to the training ground, and obviously he'd have stuff to do, whether it was training, whether it was press, and um, he used to give me a ball and throw me into the into the uh, the big indoor pitch and just say go and smack the ball against the wall for the next couple of hours and, <laughs> and they, they popped those balls up pretty hard my leg was falling off by the end of it. Um, I remember you on the team photos remember that yeah. team, the way you come on it, it that was brilliant wasn't it oh it's, it's on my wall now Pete yeah you were just getting old enough then to realize about things absolutely no one of my it was my favorite photo of me and dad I mean yeah it was fantastic yeah 80, 85 86 sat on the Sat on the ball with all the trophies alongside. Hey, no, there super. was plenty of trophies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we'd, we'd the team had won things, and you, Pete, you'd won Player of the Year, I think, and never got Goalie of the Year or something. So it was. I, I won the PFA. Uh, never won the Football Writers. Yeah, yeah. That was a quiet night. The PFA dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I could just got over it. <laughs> 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 was, it a, was it a long was it a long night Peter was it well <clears throat> the manager besides being a great manager on football could have a social we we all we we had these two tables together and you you know when you you call the waiter and then the man goes under the table and pulls crates out <laughs> he, he, he even had vision at doing that no, I, I always remember because he was always Talk about vision. We used to have them big dudes, whether it be the Northern Sports Writers, the PFA, and everybody ended up on our table. Yeah. <laughs> we, before he didn't, the room had filled up. He'd, he'd been ahead of the game again. He'd got the spirits organised. He'd got the crates organised. So once the ball finished, there was only one place it was going next. <laughs> he loved spending time with the players, Adrian, didn't he? Yeah, I, I always... I always said that I think that was when he was at his happiest, whether it be joining in some training at Balfield, you know, when it was just a generic day and you were just doing possession. He loved joining in. But I think my overbiding memory of him at his seeing him at what I thought was his happiest was when he was sitting on the front of the coach in his boxers, you know, large <laughs> glass of red, a cigar going, sitting in the front of the boards when we'd won a game on the road. I always, you know, and then Jimmy had to drive the coach in them days and couldn't go over like 40 mile an hour. It just took us like eight hours to get from Birmingham. To Birmingham. <laughs> my, my, my abiding, abiding memory, abiding's a great word, FA Footwin. I just, I'll never forget his face. I've never seen a, a man as happy in all my born days. Did you go to the Wembley Games, Simon? 
I did, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, again, you know, relatively young, but the memories are, are very clear. I mean, I, I think pretty much all the big games down around that around that time. The only one that I missed, I think, was Rotterdam, which, uh, looking back now, is a, obviously a massive regret. But yeah, I remember... your old side, don't worry. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but, um, I remember watching the game at home with Dad's mum, Minan, and. Uh, when the uh, when the second one went in, she was lying on the ground, banging her hands on the on the ground, with me sat on her back, jumping up and down. So <laughs> I might not have been in the stadium, but I remember the uh, remember it well, of course. <laughs> we, 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 won't, we won't labour this point, Adrian, but the fact that we couldn't go into the European Cup and Howard couldn't test his Everton side against the best in Europe, it obviously disappointed him. Do you think that? Do you think that hurt him as well because he felt he had to move on? I think so. I think, you know, obviously I, I worked with him a few times after that and we'd have nights where we'd be in watching telly and it'd be, we'd be talking about certain things and that, that came up an awful lot, the, the regret of not keeping that team together probably at least another two or three years together and, and, and going and competing against the best teams in Europe. I, I actually think that we would have competed really, really well. So that, that was, and, and for us as well as players, it was something that, you know, it's only now that when you look back on it, it probably added a real uh, influence on the way that that team eventually broke up. You know, Gary and Trevor went and then Reedy went and, you know, and, and it, it broke up probably, probably a couple of years too soon, I would think. What do you think, Pete? Yeah, I think um, at the time, I mean, Howard himself uh, decided he had to go to Bilbao, which I've got to say, fantastic club. I mean, I, I when I went joined Man City, we went over there for the game. Great club, but it was that it was that it was that ambition to go manage um, in Europe. That he decided to to leave Everton Football Club without a doubt. Were you upset when he left Everton, Simon? Well, I lost my dad for a couple of years there, and he he moved over on his own, right? So. Um... So yeah, it was look. It was a big, big decision, of course, right off the back of the the league win. But I think you know one thing that's different when you're the the son of a football manager, you you quickly realise you you support your dad. You don't necessarily just support individual clubs. So uh, as fickle as it sounds, you can change your allegiance quite quickly. And all I wanted was for him to be successful, and that meant supporting the club that he was managing. Um, needless to say, I was delighted when he came back. Um, and of course, now uh, definitely a uh, blue for life. But um, but at the time, you just followed you followed your dad, and uh, we used to love the trips out there. I mean, Bill Bill Bow Peter saying it was a great club and uh, great people. Um, the reason we didn't move there wasn't a there wasn't an English school close by that um, that we could have gone to, so it would have meant boarding in Barcelona or Madrid, and and mum wasn't having that. So um, so we stayed behind for the two and a half or so years, and. Yeah, no, but it was it was great to get out there. And, and look, as much as it was a a shame him having to leave because of that that desire for European football, I think it was a great experience in his life. He he looks back he looked back really fondly on those days. And he still held high regard, isn't he, by Bilbao? Absolutely. Yeah, I think around about that time as well. He, I always wondered was well, the Barcelona manager. He'd seen the turnaround of that team where it had been winning and then the thought of it breaking up and maybe having to go and try and do it again, maybe that might have helped, you know, sort of pushed him and or maybe influenced him a little bit, you know? 
You know, you know what you really enjoyed. I mean, it was, so so Bilbao was very different, right? So they only they only could buy or develop Basque players. Yeah. So 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 going out and and signing players to make the team better wasn't a priority. It was about developing a developing a squad. It was really back to focusing on coaching, and and I think he really enjoyed that opportunity as well. And Bilbao had really struggled the previous couple of years. And it was a it was a massive challenge. It wasn't like going to a Barcelona who would automatically be challenging for the for the league title. And he got them it was really did, didn't he say? He did, yeah. He got him to Europe. He actually says that he he feels he felt that success came a little bit too quickly. That that the uh, the, the, the you know I think they'd finished just above the relegation zone the, the year that he joined. And uh, yeah, I think he got him in a, into Europe at least second time, maybe even at the first attempt. And uh, and then expectations grow, maybe beyond the uh, you know the capabilities of the club at that stage. I was out in Spain not long after that. Howard had gone just before me, and I went to Espanol. And I think the great thing for him was, and I know he's touched on it. He loved going back there, but he was really held in high esteem by the supporters and the players. They really liked the way he tried to integrate. So I think it's although he would look back on it, I always think that he looks back on it with incredible affection. You mentioned the Barcelona job there, Peter. He'd have loved that, wouldn't he, Howard, being in charge of the new camp? Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, Barcelona has always been one of them massive clubs. And what Howard, Howard was intelligent and he was, um, what he was, he had a calm and influence. And I, I don't think he would have handled that. But just to re- reiterate what Simon and Adrian said, he loved, he loved Bilbao. Absolutely adored it. I mean, when when I joined him at Man City, the first thing he did was get a, a game against them pre-season, and that was I I played there at the old uh, uh, stadium. It was unbelievable. I, just walking around, the city, I think we we had games in uh, San Sebastian, uh, Santander, and Aldo over there and well you know what well, I remember having lunch with him and Alfredo de Stefano hey, it's not bad wow. Mate, wow. Mate, is it? <laughs> <laughs> that's not bad company is it wow really yeah. Howard signed you for Manchester City didn't he Peter yeah um, I, I I from Everton I, I went to uh, Queen's Park Rangers Trevor Francis the manager and uh, Colin took over and bought uh, Stuart McCall he had Snod's there, he had Brace there. So he, he said to me, I want you to concentrate on the coach. And I said, oh, well, I want to play. So Trevor Frank came in and uh, I had nine months in London, uh, which I enjoyed. And then I got a call out the blue uh, off, the, off the gaffer. Uh, Do you fancy coming joining me at Man City? And I said, yeah, get back up the, the north there. Uh, the Northwest was was brilliant, and Man City, whatever you say, even in them days, had a big name. Um, hey, going back, going back to that, Pete. No, you, you know, eventually I ended up at City. I know. We had Wayne Clark, we had Alan Harper, Wardy ended up coming, and we'd all sort of. And then obviously, when he was come, Neil Poynton, you know, it was, and he developed another great little group of players who, different age groups, but all with something to prove again. And uh, that was another great couple of years, people. Yeah, it was. I remember the City fans used to joke that they were going to change the, the shirt colour to a different shade of blue. There were m- that many ex-Evertonians. And he, this is what he was great at with his man management. He got a dressing room. 
you've got a dressing room. And what I mean by a dressing room, it's team spirit. And that was a gift he had as a manager. Everywhere he went. And any any player who, who, who played under under the gaffe had huge respect and enjoyed playing there. i tell you the other thing. I remember Everton being at Man City. And you would get there at 8 o'clock for 10.30 training. Yeah, yeah. You didn't want to miss yeah. anything. The banter in the yeah. locker room, the dressing room, was so it was fierce, but it was so funny, and you didn't want you didn't want to miss anything. You know, you couldn't wait to get to work. You know, and as Peter just said there, that was an incredible quality that he had to develop that sort of love of each other, if you like, within the dressing room. And it didn't take him long. He knew the type of characters that would need to go in there to sort of develop that. We've, we've just pushed things on a wee bit to the 97-98 the, the season, Simon, when your dad, your dad came back for the third time and you managed to shield the players and the family from the pressure. But that Coventry City game, for his family members, for everybody, was, was as close to unbearable as it gets. Uh, yeah, spot on. Yeah, yeah. But I, I suppose before I, before I go into that, I'd go back to the start of the season. Right? So I was with him in, in Mallorca when the call came to come back for the third time and and he was at Sheffield United at the time, and things were going pretty well there. They they just lost in the playoff final. Um, they've been unlucky. They'd had a, a load of injuries in the second half of the season. I think without those injuries, would have gone straight up. Um, so you would think maybe like a difficult decision to to come back with things going going pretty well there. Um, like I said, I was with him at the time, and the the reaction was instant in terms of you know desperate to get back. Uh, it was his club. Um, and really, there was just no no choice to be made. He was on the on the next plane the next morning, left us behind, and and you know yeah, the season didn't go very well. Yeah, and and it was it was stressful through most of the season. Never mind the last game. But um, if I close my eyes, I think I can remember pretty much every minute of the of the game. And in those days, you weren't armed with your cell phone, checking the scores from from other grounds, right? And and of course, we were desperately in need of Chelsea doing us a favour against uh, against Bolton. And the kid in front of me in the stand, was a he was a Coventry fan, and he was listening to the game down at Stamford Bridge. And every two seconds, I'd be like, what's the score? What's the score? What's the score? And I think with the last couple of minutes to go, I nearly ripped him off it, ripped it <laughs> off him, so I the game myself. It was, I mean, it was crazy. I mean, you think about all the highs from the, from the successful period, the relief at the end of that game, to think that you know, after all the success, it would have been, it would have just been a, a tragedy for him to have been managing them when they went down. So the relief was just just incredible. And you know, I I, I saw Gareth Barrelly at the uh, City game on New Year's Day, and uh, he was there assessing the referee. And uh, I can't look at him without thinking of the goal and uh, and what it meant and and, and the impact it had. We stayed over at Thornton Hall the night before the game. And, you know, it's like Pete, when he'd go, right, let's go back to my room and pick the team. So, you know, here we go, like, you know, this is going to be a late one. And so, <laughs> at no stage on the Saturday night was Gareth Fathery playing in any team that was selected. Trust me. <laughs> and then next morning he went, this is the team. And me and Bib Busby sort of looked at each other and went, okay. And then obviously he gets the goal top corner, but uh, I, I still think that was the most relief I've ever had in a in a stadium. And 
no, even for me personally, God knows what it must have been like for the the gaffer because of his history with the plane there as well. Had we been, had he been in charge and been relegated, that would have that would have really that would have hit him really really hard. So the relief after that game is something I've I've never experienced before, and probably I don't want to experience again. To be honest, I was at Sunderland at the time, and and that was the that was the only game on my mind. It was it was. And, and like Simon said before, it was brutal because of the other games. It changed every minute and you were like, that was the biggest relief ever. He loved coming back to Goodison, Simon, until the day he died, didn't he? Oh, absolutely. I mean, going back to what I said right at the beginning with, uh, you know, the uh, reaction he has with the with the fans and, you know, obviously living in the US and not getting back there wasn't getting back there all that often and, and and before that I was in I was in Dublin for 15 years so I was only getting back for two or three games a year but it always amazed me walking down you know down to the ground and and seeing the reaction of the of the fans to him and uh, no he he loved getting back to the games Peter the the day Howard passed away it's like a John F Kennedy moment people old enough to remember that everybody knows exactly where they were when they heard the dreadful news I got a phone call off Ray Pan. I was going the game, Manchester United, never forget it. And uh, it's the only game that, between Everton and Manchester United, that it didn't matter. You know, it didn't matter. It was uh, the surreal atmosphere. And, you know, we lost one of the greats. We lost one of the greats in football, never mind Everton. And uh, the thing I, I always like thinking about the good times. You know, and that's that's what you got to think about. And certainly, he's left a legacy that's going to be hard to, to beat. You must have felt a long way from home, Adrian, when you found out that your great friend Howard had passed away. Yeah, um, obviously, I got in touch with the rest of the guys as soon, soon as we found out. And uh, yeah, it was it, it always comes as a shock, doesn't it? Because people forget that I'd sort of known him since I was 15 years of age. So it had gone a lot longer than just having him for three or four years as a as a, as a manager. You know, I, I'd, I'd gone back to the club as an assistant to him. I went to Sheffield United with him. I went to she uh, Manchester City to play for him. So, yeah, it, it, it's sort of my my sort of career was intertwined with Edward Kendall. So somebody who's had an incredible influence on me, not just in football, but my way the way that I've tried to be and conduct my life. You know, so it was a enormous shock and uh, but the great thing is as you look at it now his legacy will always live on Simon the, your dad's funeral was the biggest funeral in the city for, for decades was that of was that of some comfort to yourself and your sisters and your mum you know it wasn't a great time of course but um, to see the reaction of the people I mean the drive to the cathedral uh, going past Goodison seeing the reaction there stopping at Dixie's statue, moving on to the cathedral, just seeing the, the streets lined with people. Um, I mean, it was just overwhelming. And, and then the walk to the front of the cathedral, again, just seeing so many faces from the past. I mean, it was, it was just, um, yeah, the, the, the reaction was, was incredible. It was extremely overwhelming. In a way, I was kind of glad I was doing a reading um, it meant that I, you know, I'm not, not a public speaker, right? So not used to it. So I managed to keep my focus on just trying not to screw that up and uh, and try to blank out most of the other stuff. But when you look back on it, um, yeah, I mean, and look, 
with what Peter was saying as well, looking back on the good times and looking back with immense pride, it's not about looking back with, with a whole degree of sorrow. It's, it's about focusing on the, uh, on the good stuff. And, and, and clearly, you know, the, the amount of people that wanted to come out that day to pay their respects is a testament to how he was, you know, how he, how he was seen by the, uh, by the public of Liverpool, not just blue, but red as well, who were lining the streets. I have to say, Peter, Howard's funeral, Liverpool Cathedral, you were absolutely outstanding. It was a, it was a, a wonderful speech you made. I, I had, on my life, you had nothing uh, wrote down. It just come from the heart, and, and that's, that's the way he was. It, was. it was just, I just told the truth, and the truth was that most successful manager in the history, but besides being a great uh, football man, which he was, he was just, end of story, a great man. I think the one thing for me about that, Darren, I always say this is the mark of respect from anybody in any industry is the amount of people who turn up and people turned up from all over the world. And you only have to look at the, the names of the people of English football, Scottish football, who were there to pay their respect. I think that told us all we needed to know. What do you make of the statues, Simon? Oh, I mean, they're, they're tremendous and a, you know, a lasting symbol of of um you know what he meant to the club and and you know really appropriate that it's with colin and alan as well i mean you think about dad always said that alan was the uh, best player that he ever played with colin of course not only as part of the you know midfield trio but as as his uh, right hand man during the during the uh, managerial years and the success there i think it's look it's really appropriate that they're they're up there together and and the statue itself is excellent but i think the symbol is uh, is just uh, just tremendous, and it's a real honour for the family. And uh, I mean, we had a crazy 24 hours coming back for the unveiling, uh, flying in from New York. But it was amazing to be there. Uh, unfortunately, the kids couldn't make it on that trip, but we've taken them back since, and just a, a fantastic moment. And you know, great to share that unveiling with my sisters. Uh, great that they could be there, and 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 fantastic that the the whole family's been able to see it since. I think you've got iconic names at Everton and iconic in, in Dixie Dean, the Golden Vision. And the other one, me, is the Holy Trinity. That tells it all. Statues are fabulous, Adrian, aren't they? Yeah, and, and it's only, like Peter says, they're synonymous with the name of the club. You know, the, the Dixie, even I did about Dixie and Stoke-on-Trent. And, you know, and then you've got, obviously... When, when you even talk about anybody from my generation talking about going to Goodison, they talk about Harvey Ball and Candle. And that's, you know, so quite a fitting, you know, having a statue in and around Goodison. It's, uh, it's only, uh, only just. Gentlemen, I know we could talk for hours and hours about the legend that is Howard Kendall, but I'm, I'm aware the time is pressing. So I just want to say thank you so much indeed to each of you for joining us. This has been an official EvertonFC.com podcast, and if you've enjoyed it, head to your usual podcast app and search Everton. You'll find all the podcasts we've already done, and also it's the easiest way to access all the future broadcasts as well. Peter Reid, Adrian Heath, and especially Simon Kendall, thank you so much indeed for joining us, and thank you everybody for listening. I hope you guys have enjoyed the reminiscing. Brilliant. Thank you, Darren. Good seeing you, Si. Good seeing you, Rich. You too, Rich. See you later, mate. I'll speak to you soon, eh? All right, lads. I'll look after yourself, everybody. Bye.